Chapter 18 Batman Parts from His Wife and Dies in Sinful Security How long did they live together like this? Some fourteen or sixteen years, until they had sinned away all they owned. Even though she brought some money with her, by the time they parted, they were as poor as a person living on the streets. And when you think about it, how could it be otherwise? He wanted to have his way, and she wanted to have hers. He hung out with his companions, and she fooled around among hers. He with his prostitutes, and she with her unscrupulous men. And they both lived beyond their means, bringing them to poverty. Can you tell me what disease Mr. Badman died from? Because I can see we're leading up to his death. I can't really say that he died from one specific disease because many afflicted him and worked together to bring him to his end. He was afflicted with edema, pulmonary tuberculosis, he ate and drank in excess, suffered with gout, and, as some say, he had a trace of sexually transmitted disease in his bowels as well. Yet the final cause of death was the pulmonary vascular disease. This is what brought him down to the grave. Although I won't say that the best of men can't die from such diseases, I must say that many times these diseases come through men's excessive use of things. Much drinking brings on edema, tuberculosis, excessive eating, and many other diseases. I don't doubt that Mr. Badman's death came as a result of the use of lawful and unlawful things. I base this on the report of his life that you've given me. I truly don't think you need to change your opinion from anything that by his liberal consumption of alcohol and his prostitutes, he brought this destruction upon himself. He wasn't an old man when he died, nor was he naturally feeble. Rather, he'd been a strong and healthy sort. Yet, as I said, he slowly deteriorated, and with his demise set in motion, he went rotten to his grave. And when he was dead, the thing that made him stink in name and fame was that he died with a small degree of the foul disease upon him, a man whose life was full of sin and whose death was without repentance. These were certainly disgraces sufficient to make him stink. They were, and they did. After his death, no one could speak well of him. His name rotted above ground just as his carcass rotted under it. And this is according to the saying of the wise Solomon, that the memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked shall stink. Proverbs 10, verse 7. Both parts of this verse were fulfilled with him and his first wife, because her name still did well, even though she had been dead almost seventeen years. But his name began to stink and rot before he had been buried seventeen days. That man died with a life full of sin and a heart void of repentance. Even if he died of the most ideal disease, if there were any such thing, I guarantee his name will stink in heaven and on earth. You speak the truth. And the same can be said for the names of Cain, Pharaoh, Saul, Judas, and the Pharisees. Even though they've been dead thousands of years, in the nostrils of the world, they stink as fresh as if they were newly dead. I fully agree. But since you've accused him of dying unrepentant, please let me see how you prove it. 
I'm not saying I doubt it because you've affirmed it, but I still like to have proof regarding what is said about such weighty matters. When I said he died without repentance, I meant so far as those who knew him could judge, as they compared his life, the word, and his death. Well said. That's the right way to find out whether he manifested repentance or not. Can you show me, then, how they proved he had none? All right, I will. The first proof was that in all the time of his sickness, he never showed that he noticed or had a sense of his sins. Rather, he seemed as secure and at peace as if he'd never sinned at all his life. Oh, I must confess, this is a sign he had no repentance. How can a man repent of something if he doesn't see it or have any sense of it? But it is strange that he didn't see or sense his sin when he could see and sense his evil earlier in life before he was sick. As I said, he was now as secure as if he had lived as sinless as an angel, even though everyone knew what a sinner he was because he displayed his sins in front of everyone. His life of excessive drinking and immorality was known and talked about by all. But as for his repentance, no one knew or talked of it because, as I said, he had none. And for all I know, the reason why he had no sense of his sins at this point was that he didn't benefit from the sense of his sins earlier in life. He didn't like to hold on to that knowledge of God, which caused him to remember his sins. As a result, God gave him over to a mind abandoned to sin, to hardness, and to stupidity of spirit. And so the scriptures that say, Blind their eyes that they may not see with their eyes, Isaiah 6 verse 10, And let their eyes be darkened that they may not see, Romans 11 verse 10, were fulfilled in him. Sadly, for a man to live in sin and to go out of the world without repentance for it, is the saddest judgment that can overtake him. Well, you and I have agreed that without seeing or sensing sin, there can be no repentance. That is simply our opinion. Therefore, let's see if we can make it good by backing it up with the scripture. That can be done easily enough. The 3,000 who were converted in Acts 2 didn't repent until they recognized or had a sense of their sins. In the same way, in Acts 9, Paul didn't repent until he saw and sensed his sins. The jailer in Philippi didn't repent until he had recognized and identified his sins. Acts 16. What would a man repent of? Of course, the answer is sin. And what does it mean to repent of sin? The answer is to be sorry for it and to turn from it. But how can a man be sorry for it if he doesn't see it or have a sense of it? Scripture Therefore, I will declare my iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. Psalm 38, verse 18 David didn't only commit sins, but also lived unrepentant of them until God sent Nathan the prophet to give him sight and sense of them. Then, but not until then, he repented of them. Scripture Then David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. David therefore besought God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. Second Samuel 12, verses 13 and 16
Job, in his repentance, cried out to God, Do not condemn me. Cause me to understand why thou dost contend with me. Job 10 verse 2 And teach me that which I do not see. If I have done iniquity, I will do it no more. Job 34 verse 32 That means I will repent of the sin I know, and I'll also repent of the sin I am not aware of once it is shown to me. Ephraim's repentance also took place once he was shown his sins and instructed about the evil of them. Scripture I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself thus, Thou hast afflicted me, and I was chastised as an indomitable bullock. Turn thou me, and I shall be turned, for thou art the Lord my God. Surely after I was turned I repented, and after I was instructed I smote upon my thigh. I was ashamed, and even confounded, because I bore the reproach of my youth. Peradventure is Ephraim a precious son unto me. Peradventure is he unto me a delightful child. With all this, since I spoke of him, I have remembered him constantly. Therefore my bowels are troubled for him. In tenderness I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. Jeremiah 31, verses 18 through 20. These are good verifications of this truth, and do in fact prove true with certainty that which Mr. Badman is charged with, that he didn't repent, but lived as he died in his sin. Scripture His bones are full of the sins of his youth, which shall be buried with him in the dust. Job 20, verse 11 For without repentance a man is sure to die in his sin, because because they will lie down in the dust with him, rise at the judgment with him, and hang about his neck like cords and chains when he stands before God's tribunal. Scripture His own iniquities shall take hold of the wicked, and he shall be imprisoned with the cords of his sins. Proverbs 5, verse 22 And they will go with him too when he leaves the judgment seat with the words, Depart from me. He cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, verse 41. And there he will agonize in his sins as they gnaw his conscience, because they will be like a never-dying worm. Scripture. Where their worm does not die, and the fire is never quenched. Mark 9, verse 44. And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that rebelled against me, where their worm shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. Isaiah 66, verse 24. That's right, and I can add a word or two more to what I've already said. Just like repentance isn't brought about without recognizing or sensing sin, we must also realize that every time someone recognizes sin in their life doesn't mean it will bring about repentance. I mean, every recognition of sin doesn't produce that repentance to salvation for which there is never regret. Scripture For godly sorrow works repentance to salvation, of which there is no need to be repented, but the sorrow of the world works death. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 because it is still fresh in our minds. We know that Mr. Badman had an awareness of sin 
during that first bout of sickness, but it died without acquiring any such godly fruit. This was clear by the way he, like the dog, returned to his vomit. Many people think repentance is found by just confessing sin, but they are very much mistaken. Like I said before, repentance is being sorry for and turning from sin to God through Jesus Christ. Now, if it is true that every recognition or sense of sin doesn't always lead to repentance, then repentance certainly can't come about if there isn't even recognition of sin. Every sense of sin doesn't bring about the godly repentance that we're talking about, as can be seen in Cain, Pharaoh, Saul, and Judas. All of them had a great sense of sin, but none of them repented unto life. Now, based on what I know, I assume Mr. Badman died unrepentant and so experienced a death most miserable. But please, before we conclude our discussion about Mr. Badman, give me another proof that he died in his sins. More proof? There's this. He didn't desire to see or sense his sins, so that he would not have to repent of them. Did I say he didn't desire it? Let me add, he greatly desired to remain in his haven of sin. I will prove that by the following. First, he couldn't stand for any man to talk to him regarding his sinful life. And yet that was the way to make him aware, to give him a sense of sin and a need to repent from it in his soul. But I'm telling you that he couldn't tolerate such conversation. He welcomed those men who attempted to talk to him about his misspent life very little during his final sickness, much like Elijah when he went to meet Ahab as he went to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. Scripture Hast thou found me, O my enemy? 1 Kings 21 verse 20 This is what Mr. Badman said in his heart, to and about those who came to him, though they certainly came out of love to convince him of his evil life, so that he might repent and obtain mercy. So you're saying good men went to see him in his last sickness? Yes. They were acquaintances of his first wife. They went to see and talk to him, hoping that perhaps he might finally think about his life and cry to God for mercy. It's a fine thing they did try to save his soul from hell. Well, how can you tell he didn't care for such company as this? His demeanor toward them differed from how he used to act when his old carnal companions came to see him. When his old companions visited him, he would stir himself as much as possible by words and actions to make it clear they were welcomed. He talked with them freely and looked pleasantly on them, though they talked about nothing except things like David said carnal men offered him when they came to visit him in his sickness. If he came to see me, he spoke lies. His heart gathered iniquity to itself. Psalm 41, verse 6. But Mr. Badman accepted these kinds of talks better than he did the company of good men. But let me offer more details regarding the character of his treatment toward these good men and what they had to say when they came to see him. 1. When they walked in, his spirit seemed to fail at the sight of them. 2. He didn't care to answer any of the questions they put to him, 
to find out what sense of sin, death, hell, or judgment he had. He would either say nothing, give them an evasive answer, or tell them, I'm too weak and don't have the strength to speak much. Number three, he never showed an openness or friendliness to talk with them, but was glad when they held their tongues. He never asked them questions about his condition or the hereafter, or how he could escape the damnation he deserved. Four, when these good people attempted to come to see him, he finally fell into the practice of telling his wife and keeper to tell them I'm asleep, or on the verge of sleep, or so weak for lack of sleep, that I can't be disturbed. And so this is the message they delivered, time after time, until the good men grew so discouraged they stopped coming to see him. Five, in this time of his sickness he was so hardened that he'd talk when his companions came to him, and he would use the conversation to belittle and ridicule those good men and their doctrine. This he did to those who came to see him out of love and who worked to convert him. 6. Once these good men walked away from him, he never said things like, Please tell me when you will come again, for I desire more of your company and to hear your good instruction. No, he spoke not a word like that, but when they did come, he would scarcely ask if they might want something to drink or say, Thank you for your good company and instruction. 7. In his sickness, his talk with his companions was about the world. Things like trades, houses, lands, great men, great titles, great places, outward prosperity or adversity, or some such worldly thing. From all that he preferred to discuss, I conclude he didn't desire to be aware of his sin so that he might repent and be saved. If these things you've asserted about him are true, then I agree it must be so and I more willingly believe them because I don't think you'd dare tell a lie about the dead. I was one of those who went to him and witnessed this manner of treatment which he showed. I've given you a true account of what happened. I'm satisfied. But if you can, please show me through the word what sentence God passes on such men. By the man who is reluctant to repent in this way, who doesn't desire to hear about his sins so he might repent and be saved, is said to be a man who says to God, Depart from us, for we do not desire the knowledge of thy ways. Job 21 verse 14 Such a person says in his heart and with his actions, I have loved strangers, sins, and after them I will go. Jeremiah 2 verse 25 he is a person who shuts his eyes, stops his ears, and turns his spirit against God. Scripture But they refused to hearken, and pulled away the shoulder, and stopped their ears, that they should not hear. Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law, and the words which the Lord of the hosts has sent by his spirit, by the hand of the former prophets. Therefore came great wrath from the Lord of the hosts, Zechariah 7, verse 11 through 12, saying, Go unto this people, and say, Hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, 
lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Acts 28, verses 26-27 Yes, such a person is at enmity with God, and detests him with his soul. Can you give me any other sign that Mr. Badman died without repentance? Well, all the time of his affliction, he never wholeheartedly cried to God for mercy. True, when sinking fits, stitches, or pains took hold of him, like other worldly men are in the habit of doing, he would say, Lord, help me, Lord, strengthen me, Lord, deliver me, and things like that. But to cry to God for mercy, that he did not do. As I hinted before, he lay there as if he had never sinned. That's certainly another bad sign, because crying to God for mercy is one of the first signs of repentance. When Paul lay repenting of his sin on his bed, the Holy Spirit said about him, Behold, he prays, Acts 9 verse 11. But for one who doesn't show even the first signs of repentance, that in itself is a sign that he has none of the others, and so without a doubt, none at all. I don't say they may not be crying where there is no sign of repentance. They cried, says David, unto the Lord, but he did not answer them. Psalm 18 verse 41. But he would have answered if their cry had been the fruit of repentance. But if people can cry and still have no repentance, you can be sure that those who don't cry at all have no repentance. In Job it says they shall not cry out when he binds them. Job 36 verse 13. That is, because they have no repentance, no cries. They neither have false repentance with false cries, nor true repentance with true cries. I know it is as possible for a man with true repentance to hold back crying as it is for a man to hold back his groans when feeling deadly pain. When you look into the book of Psalms, where repentance is most vigorously set forth along with its true and proper effects, you'll find that crying, strong crying, wholehearted crying, great crying, and incessant crying have been the fruit of repentance. But Mr. Badman had none of this. Therefore, he died in his sins. We see in these scriptures that crying is an inseparable effect of repentance. Scripture, have mercy upon me, O God according to thy mercy, according unto the multitude of thy compassion, eradicate my rebellion. Psalm 51 verse 1. O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul is also greatly troubled, but thou, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, Deliver my soul. O oh, save me for thy mercy's sake. Psalm 6, verses 1 through 4. O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. For thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presses me sore. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities are gone over my head, as a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. 
I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long, for my loins are filled with a loathsome disease, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and sore broken. I roar by reason of the disquietness of my heart. Psalm 38, verses 1 through 8. I could list a great number more, holy sayings of good men which express how they were, what they felt, and whether they cried or not when repentance was worked in them. Regrettably, when the pangs of guilt are upon a man, it's as possible for him to hold back praying as it is for a woman to restrain from crying when pangs of labor are upon her. If all the world told me that such a man has repentance, yet he's not a praying man, I couldn't be persuaded to believe it. I know no reason why you should, because there's nothing which demonstrates that such a man has it. But please, sir, what other sign do you have which can prove that Mr. Badman died in his sins and in a state of damnation? I have this. His old and sinful companions in the time of his health were those whose company and carnal talk he most delighted in in the time of his sickness. I have occasionally hinted at this before, but now I make it an argument to show his lack of grace. Because where there is in fact a work of grace in the heart, that work not only changes the heart, thoughts, and desires, but also the conversation. Yes, conversation and company, too. When Paul experienced the work of grace in his soul, he tried to join himself to the disciples. He no longer took part with his old companions in their evil doctrines and practices. He was now a disciple and favored the company of disciples. Scripture, and he was with them, coming in and going out at Jerusalem. Acts 9, verse 28. I thought about something you made mention of earlier. I thought, this is an astute observation that he didn't have grace in his heart. I thought, birds of a feather will flock together. If this man was one of God's children, he would gather together with God's children. His delight would be with and in the company of God's children. As David said, I am a companion of all those that fear thee and of those that keep thy precepts. Psalm 119, verse 63. Well said. For what part do the faithful have with the unfaithful? 2 Corinthians 6, verse 15. And although it is true that all who join to the godly are not godly, those who still inwardly choose the company of the ungodly, who are openly wicked, rather than the company of the godly like Mr. Badman did, are most certainly not godly men, but wicked. As I told you, he was out of his element when good men came to visit him. But when his worthless companions gathered round him, then he was where he should be. As I said, grace alters the heart, life, company, and all, because by it the heart and man are made new. And a new heart and a new man must have objects of delight that are new like himself. Old things are passed away. Why? Because all things are made new. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Now, if all things become new, that is, the heart, mind, thoughts, desires, and delights, it follows, then, that the company one keeps must conform with the new life. That's why it is said that they that believed were together. Acts 2, verse 44.
that they went to their own company, Acts 4, verse 23, that they were added to the congregation, Acts 2, verse 47, that they were of one heart and one soul, Acts 4, verse 32, and the like. Now, if the objection is raised that Mr. Badman was sick and couldn't go to the godly, remember that he still had a tongue, and if he had the heart to do so, he could have asked someone to call or send for the godly to come visit him. Not only that, but the company of all the others, especially his fellow sinners, would have been a burden and a grief to him. With his heart and devotion resolved to do good, good companions would have suited him best. But his companions were his old associates. His delight was in them, and therefore his heart and soul were still ungodly. Please, tell me what he was like as he drew near his end, because I recognize that what you've said about him until now has referred to his actions at the beginning of his sickness. At the start, he could put up with company and much talk. Besides, perhaps then, he thought he might recover and not die, unlike Leah when he had cause to think he was at the grave's mouth, when he'd quite wasted away with sickness. What I'm asking is, how was he when he was within a step of death, as we say, at the grave's mouth? How was he when he saw and knew that shortly he must die and appear before the judgment of God? There was no change in him other than the physical change caused by his disease. Sickness, you know, will alter the body. Aches and sudden sharp pains in the side will make men groan. But as for his mind, he showed no change. So far as it could be ascertained, to the very moment in which he died, his mind was the same. His heart was the same. He was still the same old Mr. Badman, not only in reputation, but also in his state of mind, and that to the very day of his death. What about his death? Was death strong upon him? Or did he die quietly with ease? As quietly as a lamb. To bystanders there seemed to be no strong struggle of nature, and as for his mind, it seemed to be completely at peace. But why do you ask me this question? Not for my sake, but for others. For there's an opinion among the ignorant that if a man dies, as they say, like a lamb, quietly, and without alarm or dread which others show in their death, they conclude beyond all doubt that such a person has gone to heaven and certainly escaped the wrath to come. 